welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 335. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Week two of HP Lovecraft Month here on the Drabblecast, and the first week of our original commissioned stories. Let's start things off with a hundred-word Drabble. This week's 100-word story is called Scripps Interdimensional, and it comes to us from Drabblecast forum member Inkat. Here goes. Every year, the things that looked like children awoke and gathered in the theater. They enjoyed games and puzzles. They liked to be entertained. The humans set up chairs, not looking at the stage. The things like children in neat rows. Last year, the test hadn't been hard enough, and one of them tore through her pink plaid dress and soaked the city in blood. A monster stepped up to the microphone, her unblinking eyes flickering across the crowd. Below her, a man leaned toward a microphone. Antediluvian, he said. She licked her lips. Can you use it in a sentence? Shit will f**k you up, at least according to Lovecraft. The guy was no stranger to breakthroughs in science, though. Remember, Lovecraft was living in a time of Teslas and Einsteins. But can you imagine how blown his mind would be if he was suddenly transported a hundred years forward from the year 1914 to the year 2014? If Lovecraft were alive today, the first thing he'd do, without a doubt, would be Get Sick of that Iggy Azalea song. Ah, people still listen to radio, he'd mutter with contempt. Then he'd become disconcerted that a thing called a Snooky has thousands of followers amassed within the nebulous, unseeable walls of some cursed necropolis known as Twitter. God help us, he'd cry out along with the rest of us to the cruel and silent heavens. Oh, my vagina's out. He'd probably be shocked, but unimpressed by the Amazon Kindle, less so by the seeming downgrade in the Kindle fire, but quite excited by the news that books in print are now all ancient moldering tomes. He'd probably be unable to fathom the reality of the internet, Pinterest in particular, and then quickly distracted by the reality of internet porn. He'd be interested to know by what perverse and forbidden manner we came to engineer the mutant ninja turtle, the Doritos Locos Taco, and he that is named Carrot Top. Lovecraft was kinda racist, so he'd probably be bummed out about our half-black president. Then he'd become overly preoccupied with some cryptic image he found depicting a large sentient man-peanut donning a top hat and monocle. He'd be excited by the George Foreman grill, until he realized how much work they still kinda are to clean. Impressed by the invention of the Lego, but also kinda thinking it's getting a little out of hand now with all these games and movies and shit. And charmed by the unmistakable adorkability of Zoe Dachino. 
and also excited to use some variation of the word adorkable in an upcoming story involving some black, eyeless ape creature found frozen in ice. He'd be intrigued by the non-Euclidean angles of our Steven Tyler, unnerved by the strange, unholy crossbreeding practices of isolated hillfolk as evidenced by our Sarah Jessica Parker, and thrilled with our mastery of reanimation technology as suggested by the upright standing husk of our Mick Jagger. He'd be delighted by our culture's obsession with watching terrible reality television, yet unable to reconcile the fact that everyone seems to be missing the perverse and maddening nightmare irony behind it all. And finally, he'd be flipping channels on the TV one day and stumble across the show Cosmos, see Neil deGrasse Tyson flying around in some sleek CGI spaceship trying to explain the innate mysteries of the universe in simple layman's terms, and that would be the breaking point. That's when the lamp of Lovecraft's sanity would finally be snuffed out forever, replaced only by the dark, swirling void of jittering madness. Your president, he'd ask also flies a spaceship. And I'm still in the murder business. I can hold you down like I'm giving lessons in physics. Right, right. See, Lovecraft knew it was absurd to pretend to know anything. To Lovecraft, the ultimate horror lay in the fact that we couldn't know much of anything. We could start to know, try our best to know, think we might know a little but ultimately never have the slightest clue. Because knowing, really knowing, meant insanity. There's just too much out there that is too vast, too old, too terrible. We would unravel at the knowing. The universe is full of elder gods and ancient entities beyond our comprehension. We are but a fly on the wall, soon to be swatted by the newspaper. That's just how old these things are. They still have newspapers. This week's story explores our relationship with that which is beyond the wall. We bring you To Whatever by Shannon K. Garrity. Shannon's the creator and co-creator of more than her share of webcomics, including Narbonic, Lil Mel, Smithson, and Trunktown. She's had several stories published online, including last year's Drabblecast People's Choice Award winner of Best Story, Flying on My Hatred of My Neighbor's Dog. She lives in San Francisco, where she works as a freelance manga editor for VIZ Media and can often be seen frolicking with the beautiful people at the Cartoon Art Museum. Stay tuned after the story this week to hear an author's note from Shannon, giving you a little background about the story and the nether oblivion from whence it came. The story is read to you by our very own talented managing editor and Shannon Garrity story reading specialist, Nathan Lee. So without further ado, we bring you To Whatever by Shannon K. Garrity. To Whatever by Shannon K. Garrity To Whatever Lives in the Walls <clears throat> Please stop taking my half and half. Let's get this out of the way. I know you're there. Don't think I'm unaware of the scrabbling sounds, the walls creaking from your bulk, the way my razor in the morning is never exactly where I left it last night. Richard always said it was the building settling, as if a building however old could take apples out of the fruit crisper, but he was as wrong about that as he was about a lot of things beyond the scope of this note, and since he moved out, I feel you've gotten bolder. Now, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. 
about living in the walls, I mean, I don't own the building, but when I come into this kitchen to pour my morning cup of Ethiopian roast and the carton of half and half in the fridge is empty, well, that ruins my whole day. It's no good with milk. I need half and half. Who returns an empty carton to the fridge? Do you know that's rude? That's very rude in our society. Anyway, that's all, and I'd feel better if you stopped messing with my razor. Lieutenant in 3B. To whatever. You didn't have to do that. Uh, really, I just wanted to not be left with an empty carton when I need some half and half in the morning. But this morning I come down and in my fridge is a brand new carton, so <laughs> thanks for that. I t tell you what, you need something, my fridge is open to you. I I'm guessing you get hungry. You sound pretty big. My only demand is that you not leave me with empties. I've got my needs too, you know. And, you know, maybe you can do a little shopping once in a while or do whatever it is you do. Ethan. To the tenant in the walls, I I'm so sorry about Tuesday. When I called the landlord about a funky smell in the apartment, I, I honestly, I thought it was the sink trap backing up again. It never occurred to me it was you. You've been coming around more at night, haven't you? Are, are you here during the day when I'm at work? What do you do? Uh, never mind, I, I know you won't answer. You never answer when I talk to the darkened living room, even when I can see the shadow in the corner that isn't shaped like my chair. I just find things in the morning. Polished stones and iron tools on the coffee table, or sculptures or utensils. Is there a, uh, a use for the knobs, the spikes? Or, or fresh apples in the crisper? And on Tuesday, the super found clumps of hair and scales under the sink. I told him it was a friend's dog, and he gave me the no pets lecture, but I don't think he believed me. He left in a hurry. I hope I haven't compromised your safety. You must be worried about the same thing, because every night since Tuesday has been quiet here. I understand. Uh, probably you have other apartments. Other buildings? Or is this your only home? No, no, forget the questions. I just wanted to let you know, if you happen to pass through and find this note, that the super has not been back, and I will not call the landlord again. Uh, I have, however, purchased family-sized bottles of several shampoos and conditioners, uh, which you'll find in the closet outside the bathroom, along with the towels, and if I happen to hear the shower running in the middle of the night, I will not get up to investigate. I I'm sorry, but the smell was starting to cling. <sighs> sorry again, Ethan. To wall guy, you may have noticed that today I rearranged the living room. The love seat is now behind the sofa. The small lamp table is next to the love seat with just enough room for a bowl of apples, a gallon of milk, and several beers. The Golden Globes are tomorrow evening. I was going to watch them with someone, but there was a cancellation. Never mind the details. I, uh, so I will be watching alone on the sofa with my own beers. If anyone sits behind me, I won't turn around. The red carpet coverage starts at 7. Ethan. Hey there. Amazing race again tonight? You bring the beers, or whatever it is you bring. You know, in, in the green bottles? That salty undertaste takes getting used to, but it's got to be at least 7-0, so no complaints. <laughs> I'll be home at the usual hour unless uh, something comes up at the library, but I don't expect any trouble once the senior book club meeting clears out. I'll be ordering a pizza, so don't panic when the doorbell rings. Last week, when the Thai delivery arrived, there was that sudden stench, like a skunk exploding in the kitchen, and afterwards I found symbols scrawled in damp charcoal all over the walls. The and pineapple fried rice I left on the lamp table disappeared while my back was turned, though, so presumably you don't have anything against Thai. You just get shy around people, huh? Well, anyway, anchovies on your half. I know how you like it. Be not quite seeing you. Ethan. 
Hi! Just a heads up. Tomorrow I'm getting drinks with the new guy in 4C, and no high hopes, just being a friendly neighbor. His name's Willem, so, you know, grad student in physics or something like that. Cute accent. I helped him carry boxes of books up the stairs, and you know how I like a fellow reader. So, uh, basically, I, I have to take a rain check on Parcheesy night. Maybe Thursday? Later, Ethan. Hey, Sarah, for coming in late, early, whatever. Hope I didn't wake you up. Leftover solder in fridge. <laughs> Please clean up slime trail in case of company. Good to get out of apartments sometimes, right? <laughs> Fun. E. Hey, Rumi. Willem says uh, he's been having vivid nightmares about a five-dimensional city where cats with clown faces pursue him through Klein Bottle alleys and nip at his legs. He showed me the little bite marks all over his calves. I only bring it up because it sounds suspiciously like those places that sometimes appear during the commercials when we're watching TV. You remember last week, and I had a Hulu on, and it switched away in the middle of a Geico ad? A five-dimensional Catman city. So I assume that was you changing the channel. It was, wasn't it? Well, I'm cool with having it on the TV, but the dreams are freaking Willem out. I don't know how it is where you're from, but around here we don't change the channel in people's heads. Oh, and have you seen that crystal spiral you gave me a while back? The blue one? It's perfect for unclogging the washing machine downstairs. Your roomie, Ethan. Roomie... Look, I apologize for missing dinner. I didn't know you were making spaghetti and trapezoidal prisms. I'm not very good at reading those runes that only appear on the bathroom mirror, you know. They're backwards. And also runes. Yes, all right, I did promise to be home for dinner, and then I didn't, and that's on me. I'm sorry. I'll make it up to you. But it's unfair for you to take it out on Willem. Last night he woke up screaming and babbling about the city again. I tried telling him to ignore the man-faced cats and get to that green mandala neighborhood that's always hovering over the iron bridge because it looks like it has nice bars, but he just stared at me. And now he's in a mood, and I don't think he's even noticed the mark branded on his back yet. There will be hell to pay when he sees that. Well, it's immature of you, is all. He doesn't need this. He's got to defend his thesis next month, and his car broke down. He's under a lot of pressure, is what I'm saying, without getting teleported into bad neighborhoods. Ethan. Excuse me, it's none of your business how I know what Willem screams in the dead of night. That's not the point. It's not. Your roommate. Milk, cereal, life or grape nuts, no sugary stuff, and no gray flakes in a pouch. Half and half. Bananas. Frozen peas or baby lima beans, beer, gelatinous ovoid things. I'll be out for a couple of days, and you never clean, so the least you can do is pick up some groceries while I'm gone. E. Hi. Do not panic. But. Slight problem you may need to be aware of. And now that the medication is keeping Willem's night terrors manageable, and we found a hairdresser who's a wizard at covering that white streak in his hair, he's had space to think. And now he's asking questions. The scientific mind, I guess. He keeps uh, demanding to know how I knew about the mandala and the bridge, and I told him I saw them on TV, which is true, but he isn't satisfied. He's been poking around the building, drilling into the walls. I don't know how long he's been at this. Possibly longer than I thought. Uh, again, do not panic, do not release the face cats, or send his mind to the Red Alley. That is not cool, and anyway, it'll just raise his curiosity even more. I'll try to get him focused on uh, something else. 
The medication helps with that, and once the bites heal, he won't be reminded so often. I'll be home tonight. You want Ty? Let's order Ty and talk. Or I'll talk, and you hover in my blind spot watching with your eyes reflecting like torches off of those green bottles. Just like old times. Do not panic. Ethan. Oops, he found the brand on his back. It's been spreading. Gotta smooth this over. Not coming home tonight. E. Dear Rumi, I know this isn't going to be your favorite idea, but I've got to come out and say it. Would it be so bad if you showed yourself? Or at least let the neighbors sort of know you exist? What would the actual fallout be? It's just Willem thinks he's going insane, especially since you left whatever it was you left behind the toilet in his bathroom, and I feel terrible about it. I hate the lying and the sneaking around. He's a great guy if you give him a chance. He can be overbearing, I guess, but that's part of his charm. And again, he's already stressed out from his thesis. I'm not saying we should all have dinner together, or maybe I am saying that. I don't know. I want to make this work for all three of us, and the current status quo is not healthy. The dishonesty is getting toxic, you know? Please get back to me. Lately, your rooms have been cryptic. Your friend, Ethan? Dear Rumi, I've made a terrible mistake. Let me back up. No? No, never mind. I'm no good at long explanations. I might as well start with this morning after Willem ran out the door late for his semiotics class. You know, it always seemed a little weird that he took so many humanities courses for a physics student in Gnosticism and linguistic anthropology and stuff about Joseph Campbell, but, you know, to each his own, I thought it made him multidimensional. Anyway, after he left, I noticed he'd left his laptop behind, which he never did, and it was on, which it never was, so you know, I went to turn it off, definitely not trying to invade his privacy or anything like that, you know, just doing a favor, and that was how I saw his thesis. He chose this building over two years ago, it turns out. It's mentioned in some 16th century manuscripts and identified on old maps, and there was a poem by a minor romantic who died of madness and consumption, Etude de la Desolation or something, I think it was the title. Maybe you already know all this. It's probably old news in the elder city. Anyway, it looks like Willem's been uh, studying this uh, for a while, studying our home. Can't say I understood his thesis paper. It mashes the quantum gravity research I thought was his main field with a bunch of alternate universe models and Egyptian Berber methodologies, syntactic theory, complicated math, and stuff I think he got out of old Tor paperbacks, to be honest. The best I could make out was that he discovered some kind of gate and came here to study it. He was expecting the noises and the smells and the dreams. He just wasn't as prepared for them as he thought he'd be. He wrote about you. I should wrap this up. There's only one page left in the We've Got a Latte to Do refrigerator notepad. So I told him, I read his thesis, and it turned into a scene. I'm embarrassed to say it escalated to me going full-on Oscar moment and, uh demanding to know if our entire relationship was just part of his research. And he said, Once I realized you'd been touched by they who walk between, what else could I do? The department has been demanding hard evidence. He said, You understand, I'll be defending my thesis in less than a month. 
And that's that. I'll get a new notepad tomorrow. Your trusting idiot, Ethan. Dear whoever, did you always suspect there was something up with him? Did you catch him skulking around collecting his precious data, or did you just not like him? I liked him. I passed him in the lobby this morning. He didn't say hello, but he looked fine, like he was fresh off a good night's sleep and a plate of French toast. I'm surprised you didn't send him to the city. I know you promised not to do that anymore, but this whole situation has got to have you on edge. Good work resisting the temptation. It would have been petty. But I have to admit, I was tempted to ask. Your roommate, Ethan. Dear whoever, Please, stop by tonight. I haven't seen you in days. Okay, I've never seen seen you, but you know what I mean. And we need to talk. Willem's been avoiding me in the halls. That's fine with me, but I get the impression he's up to something. Probably just me being paranoid. It's just me being paranoid, right? What will we do if he publishes his thesis? Will you have to go? Now leave me some kind of message. Burn runes into the kitchen floor or scrawl on the walls and bile. I don't know what to do. Yours, Ethan. Dear whoever, where are you? Yours, Ethan. Dear Ethan, as I seem lately blocked from your cellular phone and social media accounts, perhaps the antique practice of the note slipped under the door will prove a more efficacious means of contact. I confess in honesty to feel peculiarly comfortable expressing myself in the epistolary mode to the point that I quite prefer it to common speech. Possibly my queer and curious course of obscure study, combined with my extended stay at this legend-haunted pile known to more mundane thinkers as Perelman Apartments, has intensified this natural tendency to the point of eccentricity. This I leave to you to judge. My purpose in contacting you is not, as you may fear or hope, to reopen our prior relationship. I think that, well behind us, I must instead address your disturbing reaction to your discovery and our subsequent less-than-fruitful discussion of my thesis paper. To be brief, be brief, Willem, I hear you, and my nameless readers who by chance come across this correspondence in some future tome of scholarly letters of note, uh, I beg you should seek help of a psychiatric nature. Whether you believe it, my feelings toward you remain those of friendship, of friendly concern, of avuncular well-wishing, of regard, and knowing firsthand the grotesque magnetic of this place and its more squamous inhabitants, I fear for your psyche. Over the course of mere weeks I began to feel these uncanny effects as well you know, and you, Ethan, have resided far longer than I. Nor is your mind as strong as mine, as honed by long study in the hard sciences, to withstand the fronts to Euclidean logic and to comprehend the sublime more than comprehend, but capture, dissect, expose it to the disinfecting light of science. Uh, but I digress. There is no question in my mind that you have been in communion with one of they who walk between. How deep this communion, and how long it has been allowed to continue unabated, I do not know. But from my research, I know the power of the walkers, and the clutching effect the presence of such entities may have on the ordinary, unschooled human brain. I believe, in short, that you are not yourself, that you have developed an abnormal fascination, an attachment to something uncanny, something beyond your understanding. You are in danger, Ethan. 
The particular attachment to which I refer may not be an issue at present, but if you persist in inhabiting this forsaken temple to the unearthly, allowing its unreal geometry to remold the very shape of your mind, you will only fall further from the normal capacity for human relationships. I tell you this only as a friend. Leave this place. Find a therapist. Best wishes, Willem. Willem, Christ, you're an asshole. Ethan. Dear Ethan, your reaction only proves my suspicions correct. What I wrote, I wrote strictly out of respect for our former relationship and what lingering, tender concern I might harbor toward your well-being. That you chose to respond so irrationally tells me that I can do no more, not that I had any intention of continuing our correspondence. Just as well, my thesis is almost complete. I present on Friday. And, as intimated in my previous missive, the particular entity that has of late polluted your spirit and your apartment is no longer, for you, an issue. Feel free to do as you please. Farewell, Willem. P.S. I learned some weeks ago, with the aid of the dread grimoire Torah von Schatten, my copy of which was reportedly unearthed at Salem, how to block the dream paths of the Elder City. The method has quite cleared my mind and guarded my sleep. I may be willing to loan you photocopies if you find yourself troubled by similar afflictions from another of they who walk, as you doubtless will be if you stay here. But only if you apologize first. Willem, where the hell is he, you bastard? Answer your damn phone. Willem, I am not shitting around here. Willem, please get back to me. I'm begging you. You have him. I know you have him. Whatever you're planning to do with him, don't. He's so shy. He just wants to be left alone, watch some TV, have his coffee in the mornings, the way he likes it, you know, half and half, no sugar, stirred with a wand of yellow bone. Little things. Tell me what you want in return. Anything. Just talk to me. Promise you won't hurt him. Ethan. Dear Mr. Lanigan, Sorry to bother you, but for once I'm not writing about the missing recycling bin or fixing the sconces in the lobby. Uh, there seems to have been a break-in or something at 4C. I only glanced in, but it's a real mess. Books and papers everywhere, furniture overturned, burn marks. And no idea how much was stolen. Maybe it was teenagers messing around. We get goth kids trying to talk their way into the building sometime. Apparently they think this is some kind of mystical site. I don't know about any of that stuff. I'm just a librarian. Uh, one weird thing. There's a big cage or crate in the apartment. And from my glimpse of the thing, it looked like it was broken open and empty. I certainly hope the tenant in 4C wasn't keeping some kind of big dog in there. I'm very aware of the building's no-pets policy. I read all your notes about those cats people keep spotting. Anyway, the tenant hasn't been back. I think his name was Willem. We talked a few times, so uh, please contact the police or whatever the procedure is for this situation. As a resident, I'm concerned for my safety. Your loyal tenant, Ethan, in 3B. Dear you, let's hope this teaches both of us the importance of communication. I should have been more open about Willem and the red flags he was sending up, yes, and you really needed to be clear about a lot of things. Now don't sulk, I can just picture your spines rising. You know it's true. If you'd let me know how to open the gates to the Elder City and walk the paths between, just the basics for emergency situations, I could have gotten you away from that asshole so much sooner. 
For God's sake, he almost managed to exhibit you to his stupid thesis committee. He almost had proof. A good thing for both of us, and not to mention the structure of reality, that he's such a blowhard. He might think his skin-bound, written-in-blood edition of Torvan Shatten is oh so special, but it's hardly the only copy. I tracked down a grimy 1970s paperback translation through interlibrary loan and learned exactly the same damn incantations he did, and then some. And thanks to the illustrations, I realized that thing I've been using as a salad tong is actually the key of Tsil, which helped open a lot of paths. And thanks for giving me that, but you really could have let me know what it was for. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, I didn't leave Willem in the Red Alley. That seemed excessive. Uh, I put him in that tower with the orbs. I figure by the time we let him out, he won't be in any state to come off as a reliable witness. Trust me, no one on the earthly plane is ever going to find his thesis. You'll notice I've rearranged the living room again. The love seat is front and center, just enough room for two. I'm making spaghetti, and there's a bottle of Pinot Noir breathing on the coffee table. Sit down. We'll see what's on TV. Yours, Ethan. Hi, this is Shannon K. Garrity talking about my story to whatever uh, for the Drabblecast. Recording here with me is my six-week-old son, Robin, who you may be able to hear on the recording. So this is a story that I started working on while I was pregnant earlier this year, and it's inspired in a roundabout way by my feelings about the pregnancy. So my feelings about having a mysterious and possibly deadly entity inside my body turned into a story about a mysterious and possibly deadly entity in the walls of a house. I had started writing it when the Drabblecast contacted me about doing a story for their HP Lovecraft month. And this story already had a lot of Lovecraftian elements, so I decided to go all out Lovecraft and deliberately incorporate elements from stories like Rats in the Walls and Dreams in the Witch House. I, I'm not like the world's biggest Lovecraft expert, even though I've read a fair amount of his work. Um, and I have to admit that I'm probably influenced here more than I should be by the Showtime Masters of Horror movie version of Dreams in the Witch House, directed by Stuart Gordon, which is actually pretty good. Uh, I understand that Dreams in the Witch House is not considered to be like one of his best stories, but it does have a man-faced rat named Brown Jenkin, which is a detail I always liked a lot. It's inspired by Lovecraft and pregnancy to utterly horrifying things. Pregnancy is a sort of something that should be a horror story and turns into a love story. So this story is the same. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks, Shannon. Fun stuff. Hope you folks enjoyed this one. Remember, it's only through the support of listeners like yourself that we can commission, produce, and bring you stuff like this from talented authors like Shannon each and every week. Be awesome and consider making a donation through any of the support options off our website at drabblecast.org. Help us keep doing this. 
If you just gotta have more Shannon K. Garrity this month, sign up for a $10 a month automatic subscription to the Drabblecast and get access to Drabblecast B-Sides, our monthly premium content feed, where in addition to another cool Lovecraft story this month, we're also producing another Shannon Garrity story that will not disappoint. Become a B-Side subscriber. Help us out immensely. Get more cool stuff from the Drabblecast each month. We greatly appreciate you allowing us to do what we do. All right, on to our 100-character story winner this week by Brian with a Y. This one here. The marionette boy dreamt of a world enveloped in string, from city to tree to cloud to moon, the freedom to fly anywhere. great one. Remember, they're not all about the puns. As you probably know, we have a weekly 100-character story contest that we run through our forums at forums.drabblecast.org. Look there in the TwitFix section to find it. Post yours, you might be next week's winner. Follow the Drabblecast on Twitter at the Drabblecast. All right, folks, that's our show this week. Remember, the Drabblecast is brought to you with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes if you get a minute. Tell a friend, spread the weird. Special thanks to our episode artist this week, Mike Dominic. Mike's a freelance illustrator and comic book publisher operating out of Nova Scotia, Canada. He's produced work for an ever-growing number of books, music, and comic publishers, and he makes semi-regular appearances in the Lovecraft e-zine. His portfolio can be found at paladinfreelance.com and self-published comics available at aimcomics.com. Our program this week was brought to you by managing editor Nathan Lee, our art director, Bo Kyer, with additional help from Nikki Drayden, Tom Baker, Dave Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you, do not release the face cats. Face cats.